0: Hi, this is Joel Rosenberg, and this is podcast number three. We're watching uh, Middle East issues, tracking what's going on in Israel, uh, and the epicenter. And this uh, podcast is focused on the Israeli-Palestine peace process. As you know, uh, the United States is investing an enormous amount of time and effort to get this peace process restarted. Uh, There haven't been direct negotiations between Israeli and Palestinian officials for about three years... Secretary of State John Kerry has taken six trips to the Middle East uh, just in 2013, trying to get the parties back to the table. As you know, President Obama made his first state visit uh, to Israel. He also met with Palestinian leaders and King Abdullah in Jordan. That was in the spring, in March. And the discussions are underway. Um, we'll, you know, uh, there's an awful lot of skepticism out there, there's a lot of cynicism out there. Uh, but I think it's we shouldn't be skeptical, and we should well, we shouldn't be cynical at least. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, in Psalm one twenty two verse six to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, it's our obligation, both as Jews and as Christians, to pray uh, that peace really can come, a true peace, a lasting peace, uh, a solid peace. Uh, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, there's something about trying to reconcile uh, two uh, divided sides that is very biblical, and uh, this is uh, an objective that we need to have, and, and we shouldn't be cynical and say, oh, it'll never happen. Now, as an evangelical Christian, I can say that based on my study of the scriptures, I believe there won't be true, full, comprehensive, lasting peace that's truly fair and just and merciful until the Prince of Peace, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you know, reigns from Jerusalem. But uh, we've seen the peace processes uh, be very positive in the past. Uh, the Israelis signed a peace treaty with Egypt in uh, 1979. Uh, and uh, and gave ninety percent of the land that Israel had uh, had uh, won in the nineteen sixty seven war uh, during that time. So uh, and that has not been the warmest and coziest peace, but it, is, it has held. There has not been an Egyptian war against Israel uh, in these uh, in these years uh, since nineteen seventy nine, and 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 that's uh, you know that's that's important, and we need to note that. Uh, Israel signed a peace treaty with uh, the Kingdom of Jordan in the early 1990s uh, under King Hussein at the time, uh, and that peace treaty has held also. Israel and Jordan have not gone to war uh, with each other uh, since the early 1990s, and this is encouraging. So now, I don't think we should be cynical. Uh, there are there's some reasons for thinking it might not work, but believe me, um, uh, I think it's possible that the Israelis and the Palestinians will come to a deal. Now, uh, the question is what type of deal and whether that would be a, a deal that is in opposition to the scriptures uh, or, or consistent with the scriptures. Uh, there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, let me just make a few points in this podcast about uh, what we're seeing and, and some of the interesting things, that, uh, at least that from my perspective, things that are interesting about the current process. First, some polling. It's interesting to me that 58% of Israeli Arabs believe that the Netanyahu government is sincere in its desire to make peace. Uh, I find that interesting because uh, Israeli Arabs generally don't vote for uh, uh, Jewish candidates for Prime Minister. uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is considered uh, on the right wing of the Israeli political sphere. And um, and so there's there's uh, there's certainly opposition to and sometimes even uh, 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 it's definitely suspicion of and even hostility towards uh, Benjamin Netanyahu among Israeli Arabs, uh, but not all. I mean, it's certainly not universally true. But 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 generally, Netanyahu coming from the right of center party of Likud, a party that believes in building uh, new settlements and developments in Judea and Samaria. Uh, what the Palestinians would call the West Bank uh, is, is a deeply unpopular view, uh, certainly among Palestinians, but also among Israeli Arabs. Uh, Netanyahu has uh, had a hard negotiating uh, approach, um, and so there's there's mixed views. I mean, I think it's fair to say it's mixed, but mixed towards the negative against Netanyahu. So it's interesting that 58% of Israeli Arabs, these are Arabs... Um, both Christians and Muslims, who are citizens of the state of Israel, who live inside what is known as the Green Line, or inside what is known as Israel proper. You know, they are not living in disputed territories, in Gaza, for example, or in the West Bank. Uh, but 58% believe that Netanyahu and his government are sincere in their desire to make peace. I found that uh, interesting and encouraging. Uh, I found also interesting, but but um, but you know uh, it's certainly noteworthy that in the same poll, sixty three percent of Israeli Jews oppose a major West Bank pullout. Uh, Israelis overwhelmingly want there to be a peace process. They want a deal with the Palestinians, but they they have really uh, most Israelis have really soured on the idea that giving up land will, in fact, lead to peace. Uh, The Israelis look at it from the perspective of they gave away southern Lebanon in the year 2000 uh, without a peace treaty. uh, Prime Minister Barak just gave the the, the strip of southern Lebanon that Israel had controlled after uh, a war, uh, gave it back to Lebanon. And yet what happened? What happened was that the Iranian-backed Hezbollah uh, terrorist forces moved into the area and in 2006, fired 4,000 uh, rockets and missiles at Israel. That was the uh, the second Lebanon War. So Israelis feel like they gave away land and they got 4,000 rockets and missiles as a thank you present. Uh, they're they're not comfortable with that. Um, in 2005, then Israeli Prime Minister uh, Ariel Sharon. Uh, gave away Gaza to the Palestinians without asking for a peace treaty. He just said, you can have it. We don't want it. And what happened was, uh, since then, we've seen uh, more than 10,000, some would say up to 15,000 rockets, missiles, and mortars have been fired at uh, Israeli civilians in southern Israel from Gaza. So Israelis say, listen, we gave away southern Lebanon, and we got... Four thousand missiles. We gave Gaza to the Palestinians, and we got ten to fifteen thousand rockets and missiles as thank you presents. Why exactly should we give uh, the West Bank? Um, how would we know that we wouldn't get more rockets and missiles? This is a this is a serious concern, and it's a legitimate concern. Now, Palestinians look at it differently, uh, understandably, but they but they have to. Uh, but people have to understand at least the way the Israelis see it. And why 63%, I mean, that's a strong majority, don't want um, a major West Bank pullout. Meaning they don't want to give up all of Judea and Samaria. Uh, they're willing to give up some, uh, but not as much as, uh, you know, uh, Prime Minister Ehud Barak wanted to give, about 93% back in 2000. And uh, Prime Minister Olmert, Ehud Olmert, uh, in the mid-2000s, uh, was offering about 95, 96 percent of the West Bank. So uh, Israelis are overwhelmingly opposed to that. Um, now, as we go into this process, as there are more discussions, there were some initial discussions in in, in Washington uh, just to sort of establish the uh, you know, the sort of the early ground rules. Um, uh, Palestinian chief negotiator, Saeb Erekat, a, a man I actually met and interviewed uh, for my book, Epicenter, a few years ago. He's been the chief negotiator for many years. He knows the issues well. Uh, so that's Saeb Erekat. He and uh, uh, Mohammed uh, Shtaia, uh these are the two that came for the Palestinian side. Uh, the Israelis were represented by Justice Minister Zizipi Livni and by Yitzhak Moho, uh, who is a close advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, I met uh, Yitzhak Mohol a number of years ago, in 2003 actually, uh, when I was invited by then Foreign Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu to come to Israel for a week uh, to do research for a novel that I was writing about a post-Arafat environment. Uh, that was a novel called The Last Days, and um, Bibi uh, had me sit down with Moho. Moho had been his direct negotiator with uh, Yasser Arafat uh, over the years, and it was really an interesting conversation. Uh, so uh, these are the two sides. They came together in Washington, um, in. Um, uh, you know, in uh, in early August, uh, they met with President Obama. They met with Vice President Biden. They met with each other, uh, obviously Secretary Kerry, and um, and and sort of established some early ground rules on how they were going to approach things. Now, of course, they're regathering um, to have further discussions. Um, so, I, now I, as we go forward, with this I think we should be praying that somehow a truly positive and biblically. Um, uh, wise uh, deal could be struck. I don't know if it can be um, but I, I'm, I'm not opposed to this process. I don't think any of us should be opposed to the process. Just the opposite. Israelis and Palestinians need and they deserve uh, to live in freedom and security and the protection of their human rights, their civil rights uh, and, and we should be uh, you know, certainly as evangelical Christians committed uh, to these ends. Um, I do think there are five critical questions that need to be asked as the peace process unfolds. First, what is the best way to to balance competing priorities? And you can read, by the way, more of this in detail um, on my blog. You you can search for an article that I posted on August 3rd called Five Critical Questions We Need to Ask During the Mideast Peace Process. So you can find that on my blog at joelrosenberg.com. So, the first question is, what is the best way to balance competing priorities? And what I mean by that is that helping the Israelis and Palestinians meet and discuss final status issues and chart a peaceful, respectful path forward is and should be a very high priority for U.S. diplomats. Uh, but there are other high priorities competing for U.S.'s attention right now, uh, the Iranian threat. The Syrian implosion, there are over 100,000 people already uh, murdered and killed in Syria. Uh, The killing doesn't seem to have abated, and it could get much worse um, uh, based on what we're seeing and, of course, based on Bible prophecy. There was the Egyptian coup d'etat with the Egyptian military taking power back from the Muslim Brotherhood. I think that's mostly a positive development, uh, but still, things are very... Tenuous in the region, and with Iran getting close to building nuclear weapons, that's the number one issue that Israel is focusing on. It's the number one issue that the United States should be focusing on. It doesn't mean we can't walk and chew gum at the same time, that we can't work on several issues at the same time, but we need to make sure that we are careful about balancing the priorities and making it clear that the Iran- stopping Iran from getting nuclear weapons is the number one most important issue for peace and security in the Middle East, and, uh, and we can't get our eye off that ball. Uh, so it's a question at this point. Does, uh, how will the U.S. Uh, administration um, balance those competing priorities? Second, are we certain that the Palestinian leadership truly wants to make peace? Now, I believe uh, with all my heart that many of the Palestinian people want to live in peace with their Israeli neighbors. I know many Palestinians. I'm spending more and more of my time um, in the West Bank uh, with Palestinian pastors as well as uh, sort of the rank and file. Uh, I've got a long way to go. Uh, There's much more that I need to learn. But I have no doubt that the Palestinian people overall want peace. Um, I am sure that in their hearts, many, not all, but would like to have all of uh, the land of Israel. They're not comfortable with Israelis there, Zionists being there. But I think many have come to sort of re- realize that the Israelis are going to be there and they just want their own ability to live uh, and govern themselves without Israeli interference, without uh, Israeli uh um, um, Military and police, sort of in their lives, uh, controlling their lives, and those are legitimate uh, desires. But the but real questions do have to be asked about Palestinian Chairman Mahmoud Abbas. Um, it's interesting. Abbas's top priority as the peace process began was pressuring Israel to re- to agree to release 104 Palestinian murders and terrorists. <clears throat> now these are people that <coughs> excuse me. Uh, had already been arrested and convicted uh, for uh, killing Israelis and doing terrorist acts, um, and many of them have served you know twenty years in prison or more. This is pre Oslo Accords, uh, people that were arrested before that, but they were convicted. Many of them on life sentences, and um, and Israel does not have the uh, the death penalty. So. Uh, The question is, why did Mahmoud Abbas, the the head of the Palestinians, uh, why did he make releasing terrorists and murderers his first priority? Why was that his main demand? How exactly does that promote true peace between these two peoples? I don't see it. Uh, It seems like an odd way to get started, uh, but that was his first move. Abbas's second move was troubling as well. Uh, He declared that not a single Israeli would be allowed to live in, quote, Palestine, uh, the name of the country they want to create, if and when the state is conceived. Again, I'm mean, trying to imagine that in reverse. If Netanyahu said not a single Arab is going to ever live in Israel if we make peace with our Arab neighbors. I mean, first of all, that's not true. I mean, obviously there's there's uh, nearly two million uh, Israeli Arabs uh, living in the, in the state of Israel today. Uh, some of them serve in the cabinet, or not in the cabinet, but in, the, in the, uh, the Knesset, in the parliament. But the idea that Abbas's view of peace means that no Israeli Jews are going to ever live in the, in the the neighboring state uh, doesn't exactly suggest that that's, uh, that's, that that's really peace. Peace would be that you've got mutual cooperation between both sides. The third question that I think needs to be raised is, does the Palestinian leadership in Ramallah truly have the legal authority and legitimacy to sign a peace deal with Israel? Now, this may seem controversial. I don't mean to be tendentious about it. Uh, it, uh, These are legitimate questions. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas is currently serving the eighth year of a four-year term. Okay, his his term as uh, chairman of the Palestinian Authority uh, expired on January 15th 2009 yet he refuses to call new elections so that's a problem uh, much uh, moreover uh, abbas does not control all of the territory that he and the plo define as palestine uh, he uh, controls he and the palestinian authority control uh, the west bank but hamas the radical islamic terror group linked to the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. They control Gaza, and that's where the rockets and the missiles and the mortars are being fired uh, over the years um, at Israel. So uh, Abbas is not uh, even in control of all the territory he uh, wants to negotiate over. That's a problem. And, And Abbas either does not have the power or refuses to exercise his power to stop uh, the Palestinians in Gaza once and for all from firing rockets, missiles, and mortars at Israeli civilians. So these are some troubling questions, um, and uh, they do raise doubts. Uh, could they be worked through? Yes, they could. Uh, but they are things that we just need to be clear about from the outset. Now the fourth question is, is an important one as well. Is the Netanyahu government truly committed to making peace with the Palestinians? Uh, The Netanyahu government is a deeply divided team. Uh, They've got cabinet members who have very different definitions of what peace should look like, what it would look like. Um, Indeed, Netanyahu himself, as prime minister, is is rather conflicted. In the past, he has supported autonomy for the Palestinians, that is, that they can run their own uh, daily lives in all the different spheres without Israeli interference, but he did not support a sovereign state. In recent years, however, uh, Netanyahu has changed his position. Now he says he's willing to divide the land of Israel to create a sovereign Palestinian state, so long as it is as it is demilitarized, that it doesn't have uh, a military um, arsenal and system that can threaten Israel's national security. Um, and so the question is, does Netanyahu and his team have clarity amongst themselves of what they really want to achieve And do they have a viable game plan to get there? Fifth, and most importantly, uh, are Israeli, Palestinian, and American leaders looking to God and the Bible for wisdom on how to make peace? You see, the Bible is clear that ultimately the Lord considers the land of Israel his own land. And what's more, the Lord is very jealous for the land of Israel— and he warns in the biblical book of Joel, in chapter 3, verse 2, that every nation that divides the land of Israel uh, will face judgment. Uh, that's a very sobering thing. that He says he's going he's to bring all the nations uh, that have divided his land into, the, into judgment in the end days. And, uh, and the question is, are the leaders of the region taking such biblical warnings into account as they proceed? Um, I believe that autonomy is totally biblical. Letting the Palestinians live their lives without Israeli interference, uh, without what the Palestinians would describe as oppression, occupation, I think that's, that's fair, um, that the that, that Palestinians be able to run their lives, you know, their school systems, their economy, their telecommunication systems, their infrastructure, you know, banking, all of these things, uh, their police services, their justice systems, um, radio and television, all of it but but to create a sovereign state i believe divides the land of israel in direct opposition to the scriptures and the scriptures are so clear that that's going to bring divine judgment that even though we want there to be peace we can't try to make peace between israelis and palestinians by doing it in defiance of the express word of god and you know it's not it's not the job of the church to run the Middle East peace process, or to be cynics, or skeptics, or naysayers. You know. As I mentioned before, as Christians, we should want justice and mercy for Jews and Arabs in the region. We should want peace and reconciliation. We should faithfully pray towards this end, and we should teach the Word of God and encourage leaders on all sides to fully consider everything that God has to say— and, and to follow the principles that are laid out in the Bible, in the scriptures, not to defy or disobey them. And I think this is part of our role, um, even as we uh, build friendships with Israelis and friendships with Palestinians and work on personal reconciliation and, and uh, try to strengthen the church uh, in, in, in the entire land and, and be a blessing to people, whether they're believers in Jesus or not, this is the role that, that we have as, as believers and of course to pray uh, for the leadership there to make wise decisions. So let us be faithful in this task and trust our sovereign Lord to make all things work out for his glory and for the good of the people in the epicenter. I'm Joel Rosenberg. Uh, Thanks for listening to this podcast. God bless you.